Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Leviticus chapter 10. In chapters 8 and 9, we witness the ordination of Aaron and his sons. In chapter 10, on the first day of their service as ordained priests, two of Aaron's sons are executed by divine fire for gross neglect of their priestly duties. R.K. Harrison says here, Chapter 10 makes clear how swiftly divine retribution came upon those who refused to follow the guidelines and insisted instead upon pursuing an independent course, closed quote. God expects his rules and statutes to be obeyed. His rules are not suggestions, and his priests are not co-deities. If that wasn't clear to Aaron's family before, it certainly will be now moving forward. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now, it isn't explicitly stated what they did that represented such an egregious violation of protocol. Obviously, they did something. Verse 1 says that the two men each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So they performed some kind of ritual that was not authorized, but exactly what that was or what they did isn't said. The JPS Torah commentary says here, the text does not specify the offense committed by the two young priests it merely states that they brought an offering that had not been specifically ordained, close quote. It goes on to list all the suggestions that were common in rabbinic Judaism. Some thought it might have had to do with where they offered the incense. The phrase, before the Lord, may indicate that they went right inside the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest was supposed to do, and that only once a year. So maybe this was an act of arrogance and impertinence on behalf of the young men, kind of like what we see later in the story with the sons of Korah. So that could be it. Others say that the problem was impurities in the incense that was offered. It hadn't been prepared according to protocol. That could be it too, although I find that one less likely. Other commentators suggest that it might have had something to do with the coals. They were supposed to use coals from the altar, but maybe these coals came from some other place in which case they were bringing something unsanctified into the presence of the Lord. That could be it too, I suppose. But at the end of the day, the text doesn't say, so we don't know. We don't have any details. We just have a fairly obvious principle. You need to serve God God's way. You don't get to innovate. You're not encouraged to innovate. You don't get to edit or add or ignore. If you are a priest, if you are a servant of God, then you obey. His word is your law, period. If you want to draw near to God, then you will have to observe the limits that he sets and observe the protocols 
he prescribes. That's what Moses says in verse 3. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. So Aaron recognized that his sons had done wrong. He may have known more of the details than we do. We assume that he did. But regardless, he recognizes that God had not acted unfairly or impulsively. He had given clear instructions and plentiful warnings, and his sons had not respected those things the way that they should have. His sons knew all about the holiness of God. They had been witness to some pretty amazing things up on the mountain. In Exodus 24, verse 1, God says to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Nadab and Abihu were there. They, they were a part of that. They were part of the inner circle. Verse 10 says, They saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Exodus 24, 10 to 11. So they knew all about the holiness of God. And therefore, their flagrant disobedience was inexcusable. The more you know, the more experience you have of God, the higher the standard to which you are held accountable. Jesus said the same thing in Luke 12, 47 to 48. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So intimacy comes at a price. If you want to walk closely with God, then you need to be constantly aware of who he is and who you are as his representative. Verse 4. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose. And do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. So the issue here is that no consecrated person could have contact with the dead without becoming ritually defiled. If Aaron's family mourned in the traditional way, it would completely knock out the priesthood. So some extended relatives, uncles and cousins, step in so that the young man can be properly mourned and the religious life of the nation can continue uninterrupted. Obviously, this is a hard moment. But the principle here is that our service to God is ultimate even over our service to family. Jesus said that too. He said in Matthew 10, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Old Testament and New, God comes first or not at all. That's the way it is and the way it ought to be. Verse 8. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, 
Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. It's interesting there that in verse 8, the Lord addresses Aaron directly. This is not God to Moses to Aaron, as per usual. This is God directly speaking to Aaron. And what he says is that the priests must never officiate at the altar under the influence of wine or strong drink. That is interesting. And it leads many commentators to the conclusion that perhaps what was going on here was that Nadab and Abihu were intoxicated. They were drunk. And as a result of having their judgment impaired, they did something stupid that they would not normally have done, and they paid a heavy price for so doing. The priesthood has an important responsibility. They are supposed to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. They're supposed to teach the people of Israel all the statutes of the Lord, so they need to keep their wits about them. They need to be clear-headed. We see the same admonition in the New Testament given to the priesthood of all believers. The Apostle Paul says that we are to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, Romans 12, verse 3. And the idea in the Bible seems to be that the more responsibility you have, the more cautious you should be in your consumption of alcohol. Proverbs 31, verses 4 to 5 says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. There's no argument for absolute abstention in the Bible. David, who was himself a king and a prophet, said, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Psalm 104, 14-15. So David was pro-wine, but as a king... He knew that he would need to drink far less of it than the common man because of his great responsibilities. The same holds true for priests. Now, this was not understood in Judaism as forbidding priests to drink at all. It was understood as forbidding them to drink prior to their temple or tabernacle service. Gordon Wenham says here, To make a mistake in these matters provoked God's judgment and could lead to death. So, To reduce the risk of such errors, the priests were forbidden to drink before going on duty, closed quote. And I think that makes sense. We would say the same thing to a hydro worker, I think, wouldn't we? Mistakes in your line of work are likely to be fatal. So very wise to keep your wits about you. The testimony of the Bible then appears to be this. The higher the stakes and the higher your level of authority and responsibility the less wine and strong drink you should consume. Old Testament and New, that seems to be the basic idea. That just seems like wisdom. Verse 12. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons. Take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food offerings and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your son's due from the Lord's food offerings, for so I am commanded. 
The grain of the cereal offering is described as most holy. As a casual reader, it is easy to get lost in these various designations. Most holy means that only the priests can eat it. They can't take it home and share it with their families. It is basically part of the sacred ritual, and so it has to be eaten in the tabernacle complex. But there is a part they can take home. We learn about that now in verse 14. But the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as your due and your sons due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you as a due forever, as the Lord has commanded. So this was a big part of the priestly stipend. He was able to take the breast and thigh portions home and to share them with his family. All of this material was already covered back in chapter 7 and chapter 9. But it appears that here in this case, because of the great trauma that has just occurred, the regulations were not precisely followed. We'll learn about that in verse 16. Now, Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary? since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord. Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. So here Moses is referring to the sin offering of the people as part of the ordination service as described in Leviticus 9, 3, and 15. A portion of that should have been eaten but it wasn't. And you will recall, eating it was important. It positioned the priests as mediators of divine atonement, and it demonstrated to the people that their offerings had been accepted. So it was a big deal that this part of the process had been neglected. And Moses goes to Aaron, or actually Aaron's sons, and talks to them about that. He probably spoke to the sons to avoid embarrassing the father. But it is Aaron who responds in verse 19. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, Today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. So Aaron says that they couldn't eat because of their grief. They, they weren't disregarding protocol. They were just humanly overcome. And when Moses heard that, he approved. The law is precise, and disrespect of the law is treated harshly. But God knows our frame and is compassionate toward our weakness. This is something that the Jews forgot, but that Jesus never did. Do you remember the story about that time Jesus was invited to a Sabbath meal at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees? Luke tells the story this way. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? 
and they could not reply to these things. So, yes, there are laws, but there is also mercy. Thanks be to God. Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at intotheword.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just type Into the Word into the search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word. Thank you.